McDonald's has been urged to conduct a civil rights audit of its operations. An advisor to union pension funds is calling on the Chicago-based fast food giant to analyze how its policies may be contributing to social and economic inequality. And I'll talk with Crane's residential real estate reporter Dennis Rodkin about news from the local housing market, including how actor Jim Belushi is looking for a Chicago home. Meanwhile, chef Stephanie Izard sold hers. She told me that she's opening two restaurants in Los Angeles this year. One is already open and the other opens in December. What she said is, I'm so busy in Los Angeles that I can't really keep up a house. I'm Amy Guth and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, November 24th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Hi there, and welcome to Crane's Daily Gist Live, brought to you by Wintrust. I'm your host, Amy Guth, and I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, as I am every week, here to talk about news of the week from the local housing market. Hey, Dennis, how's it going today? I'm good, Amy. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Happy almost Thanksgiving. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. Let's start by talking about the housing market. Looks like you've got a little bit of October data for us. What you got? Yes. On Monday, we got the October data from Illinois Realtors. And next week, we'll get the data from Case Schiller, and we'll be able to talk about that. It's interesting to see that, you know, we're we're now comparing because we always compare the month to a year earlier. We're comparing to an insane time. October 2021 was fine. But when you compare it to October 2020, when that boom was just going kaboom, Um, October looks sort of slow. So what I did was I actually compared to the average uh, for October's past. In in the city, home sales were down 5.9% October this year compared to October last year. But again, October last year was nuts. So comparing it to the number of sales that typically sell in October, sales in October 2021 were up 14.9% from the norm. For the metro area, Sales were up 22% in October from the norm. And and this is important to keep in mind because the the number of sales, of course, has a multiplier because when I buy a house, I buy curtains and couches and everything else. But it's also important to note because that boom is still really going on. I mean, these elevated numbers of sales are pretty amazing. I will be in December starting to add up sales for previous years. And I think we're going to end up in 2021 with more sales than probably any year going back to the housing boom. On a month-to-month basis, it looks like we're below 2021, but adding up year to date, we're well above because most of our closings happened in 2021, January through September. So even though right now, October looks like it's worse than October 2020, It's actually been really intense this year, and October is just sort of quieter than those were because we're on the shoulders of crazy October 2020. Same is true of prices metro-wide. In the city, they're flat, 
But that's again, because we were up in the 10 and 15% prices were at the end of 2020. That's probably going to change in the next couple of weeks as well, because while we're talking about monthly data here, the weekly data that I get does show that we're back above the 10 and 12% level. So in recent weeks, homes have been selling for 10 or 12% above the corresponding week a year ago, which was also in the double digits above the corresponding week the prior year to that. So we may start to see once again, this double digit price growth in the monthly figures. Well, first of all, the average of October's past sounds like a memoir. So I want you to take that title, <laughs> run with it. But I mean, you did mention that kind of year-end data, which we have done that every year. We kind of visit about what does the, the year look like. And I cannot wait to talk with you about that because I think it's going to be so interesting because we've been saying that all year of wait till we can kind of take a look at what the story of the full year is. And I think that's just going to be fascinating, especially, you know, looking at just this one piece of it, just what, what happened in October tells me that what we're going to look at with year-end data will be really fascinating. Yeah. And what's going to be interesting is 2021 will be a full year of the boom, both the, the big, huge months of the boom and the more modest months of the boom now, which are only modest by comparison. 2020 had normal months and then the early pandemic. So the, the way the year ended probably wasn't really indicative of where we are today, while the way 2021 ends will be more so. I can't wait. You've turned me into a real estate data nerd because, well, because it's so interesting because it always has a story attached to it. It tells us we can kind of anecdotally listen to, okay, realtors said this and this is what home buyers are saying, but really to, I mean, the data doesn't lie. And when we look at there, we say, this is what the story was. This is what happened. And I think the best example of that is our discussion of the, the upper end of the market at the end of 2020, where we really did see uh, and then following into 2021, where we did see there was a huge drop in high-end purchases downtown in 2020, but it came surging back in 21. And, and I know we've discussed that on here. And when we get to the end of the year, um, it will be really interesting to see how that uh, $4 million and up market came flying back downtown after pausing in 2020. Well, you just set up a really good segue because I also want to talk about some high-end condos in town in particular, kind of looking at the Tribune and the St. Regis, those are you know areas you looked at, uh, you mentioned last week that you were going to be looking at this week. What did you find? They are seriously dominating the luxury market this year. So looking at that upper end, because that's where we were, the $4 million and up, they are both delivering huge numbers. Uh, seven condos at $4 million and up at St. Regis and six at the Tribune and not everything has closed. And most people will remember that 4 million and up level is sort of is generally the cream of our crop at the very yeah. top of our market. 97 condos sold at a million dollars to 2 million at the St. Regis and another 22 at the Tribune. That's more million dollar to $2 million condos than have been sold in the rest of the downtown area, in the entire area from um, North Avenue to Roosevelt Road and west to the river in the past two years. So they are clearly the place people are preferring to buy million dollar and up condos. I should say these numbers I'm giving are condos that have been delivered. Those numbers differ from what the developers report because they report sales, which would be both delivered and under contract. What we're talking about is those that have actually been delivered. Another thing I found is that Several years ago, I did a story, the 
developers of the St. Regis, which at the time was called Wanda Vista, announced that they had a sale at over $14 million and showed some documentation. You know, they can't lie in the, the real estate records. But to this date, it does not show that it has closed. So there may still be a $14 million sale closing at the St. Regis. And it's important to keep in mind, they've delivered condos on higher floors than that. So it couldn't be that they haven't yet reached that floor. And I'm really intrigued because that will be a, a very high level price. They reported it again, several, I think it was 2018. It still hasn't closed. So that's another one we found. It's just fascinating to look at these two buildings in the public records because these numbers are like, you know, a hundred condos at a million dollars. Once upon a time, Chicago didn't sell a hundred condos at a million dollars, let alone selling them all in one building. I mean, the St. Regis building is interesting just because when it was under that previous ownership, there was a little bit of, let's say, consternation, right? When it was when it was right. uh, the Wanda and then changing it to St. Regis, there was some issues there. I think if I remember correctly, there were a couple of lawsuits filed. There were lawsuits. Neither of those has been resolved that I can determine. Neither of those condos, uh, there were actually three, I think, they have not been delivered. So the lawsuits, I assume, are still in process, but but I don't know. And the other thing about the, the change is that the number of contracts that St. Regis reports has really risen quickly in the year, roughly a year since they, they made the announcement that yeah. the Vista partner or the Wanda partner was gone and they were going to be called St. Regis. Deliveries have also risen, but there are still a very large number of deliveries to people who put them under contract in 2015, 16, when sales started, many of those have names that are distinctly Chinese or Asian. And there was a strong push in the early years, especially, you know, the partner Wanda was out of China. There was a big push to sell to Chinese buyers. What I can't determine from these records is where an individual buyer comes from. So sure. I don't know how many of these are people who responded to that push for sales in China. But I do know that the number of names of that of that type um, is way out of proportion to the Asian population of Chicago. So that doesn't say all these buyers were from China and Asia, but it does suggest that a lot of them were. All right, let's shift now to Lakeview, to West Lakeview, to take a look at 18 new houses that are coming to the area. This is the second recent announcement we've done of an in a formerly industrial property in that area going to single family homes. Not that that's uncommon, especially in that area, um, but these are like the last of them. In the area where these are being developed at Wolfram and Paulina, it's really the last piece of industrial property in a neighborhood that was nearly all industrial in the 1970s and 80s. And in the mid 80s, the first pieces went residential. Now, if you look at an area, really about a 20 square block area, virtually everything that was industrial is now residential or residential appropriate, like park, that sort of thing, and used to be industrial. This was industrial owned land. I don't know what it was used for in the distant past. Most recently, it's been empty land owned by an industrial company and occupied by a nursery. But it's sort of interesting to see this neighborhood close in. There are some on the north side of Wolfram and some on the south, the two parcels together. They're sort of derived from a classic two flat, a little squarer than some two flats, uh, but they're single family homes. They all have rooftop decks and they also have 
decks on the roofs of the garages. Yeah. So give me like, what are major cross streets? I'm not picturing exactly where that is in West Lakeview. Wolfram and Paulina would be, well, it would be just above Wolfram and Diversity. But that's pretty far west, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. um, it, it's an area. It really is a part of Lakeview that when we were kids was an industrial neighborhood. Sure. Um, yeah. Change. I remember because I'm decades older than you are. Um, I remember when the first ones were turning and people were like, oh, wow, this factory is leaving. And now um, the, the balance has shifted so dramatically um, that, like I say, it's not a huge surprise that this property is going residential because it's what everything has done in that neighborhood. All right. Well, let's turn our attention to two celebrity home buyers and sellers. Let's start with uh, chef and TV personality, Stephanie Izard. We talked about her house before because we we looked at some photos from it. It was a really cool house, but I understand it has sold. That was September. Yeah, it sold relatively fast. She bought this house in 2014. I had written about it then. It's in Little Italy on Lexington. It's I guess, sorry, I should say it's in Tri-Taylor. It's just outside. Yeah. You would think of as Little Italy, built in I think 2000. Looks a lot like the historical homes there, which is really what you need to do if you're building in Tri Taylor. She bought it in 2014. I wrote about it at the time, spoke to her at the time, and then I was a little surprised to see it come on the market this September. She didn't talk to me then, but now that it has sold, she told me um, in an email that uh, she's opened two restaurants or is opening two restaurants in Los Angeles this year. One is already open and the other opens in December. What she said is, I'm so busy in Los Angeles that I can't really keep up a house. She did say emphatically, but I'm still in Chicago all the time. She has four restaurants here. So my guess is you move into a condo or something a lot less maintenance than a single family home. It sold for um, 1.28 million. So she paid 1.2 in 2014. She redid the entire interior in the way we're looking at. She also upgraded the outdoor barbecue station into it's got gas and water and is much more, much fancier than it was. We were in love with the bedroom the last time. I think we have it again this time. It looks like sort of an, a retreat on a tropical island. Oh, this Polynesian thing. Yeah. I didn't know this at the time it was for sale. The family room has this sort of woven wood effect on the walls. Those are barrel staves from Goose Island. That's really neat. I mean, that's a cool piece of just like one day Chicago history to save, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully the new, the buyer will preserve that. Yeah, I would assume. I mean, it's probably also very difficult to remove. I would assume sure. that unless so you that. absolutely hate it, you're going to leave it. That is pretty cool. I mean, it, it has like a fun kind of whimsical vibe in this house. That's fun. It's yeah. not overdone. It doesn't look unsophisticated. It looks just kind of playful and bright. And I feel like, you know, in Chicago winters, sometimes you need that kind of brightness. Yeah. And as I understand, I don't know Stephanie Izard, but as I understand, you've also just sort of described her personality. I think this house, people tell me, really exudes her personality. And I think what you've just said about the house probably fits uh fits the impression I have of her from videos I've watched of Top Chef and things like yeah. that. Yeah, she seems like cheerful and just kind of like a fun person. All right, well, let's go to another celebrity who is home shopping. That's Jim Belushi. So he's an actor, of course, and he um, has been farming cannabis in Oregon for a while, but he's looking for a home here. Yes, this was kind of interesting. Um, I, I guess he didn't put a lot of um, he didn't make a lot of confidentiality requests because he looked at more than a dozen homes in Chicago, in the city of Chicago, uh, on Saturday and Sunday. 
And I can't tell you how many, but real estate agents let me know that he had come through properties or that they had seen him, that sort of thing. It was, it was well known in real estate. And then I confirmed with several sources that he actually was looking at properties in Chicago. And again, that city of Chicago, because people on Twitter were saying, oh, of course, he'll move to Lake Forest or whatever. But it was North Side Chicago he was looking. Um, and then I got another kind of funny kind of confirmation. His agent didn't call me back either. They never do. The celebrities, real estate agents never do. But there's a play in town about Lenny Bruce, and they published pictures of Jim Belushi posing with the star on Saturday night. So Jim Belushi wasn't only looking for homes in Chicago this weekend. He also went to a play about Lenny Bruce. So I wonder if it was, I'm going to come in town, look at homes, and also see the play about Lenny Bruce, or I'm going to come in and see the Lenny Bruce play. While I'm here, I'll look at some houses. While I'm there, I'll look at a dozen homes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's really interesting. As far as I know, he has not kept a home or apartment in Chicago yeah. since he was in Second City, which is in the 1980s or early 1990s. Most people know, grew up in Wheaton. So did his older brother, John, born in Humboldt Park. And as I said in the story, he does have a long history. He's led Cubs rallies. He's starred yeah. in movies that were filmed in Chicago, but he's not thought of as a Chicagoan the way you might think of like the Cusacks. Sure. Um, but he may soon buy. I hope that he's as loose with the confidentiality stuff when he buys <laughs> shopping because I'll find out. We can have him as a guest on the podcast. We can just have him in here with us. He can talk oh, sure. about his home buying. He can just tell us all about it himself. I'm yeah. open to that. Let the record show. Celebrity home buyers, you are welcome on this podcast. Can we call the podcast that day according to Amy? Sure. That's fine. We can call yeah. it that every day if you want. <laughs> That's fine. Sorry, because his show was called According to Jim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. I'm picking up what, again, I'm picking up what you're putting down, Dennis. All right. Well, what's coming up in the week ahead? Sort of, I picked up the baton from Danny Ecker. Danny, on the commercial real estate side, has been writing about office buildings that have been given back to their lenders because, of course, the appetite for office space is shrinking. And so a lot of these Class B buildings just can't make their numbers work, can't fill them up. So they're giving them back to the lenders. So I'm looking at, well, how many of those might go residential? It's not unusual for office buildings to go residential in Chicago, of course. But I did have one source say that it may be a little more urgent now because as we try to come out of the pandemic era, old empty office buildings aren't going to be a good sign. So there's a big appetite for residential downtown. Will some of these buildings come along to suit that appetite, uh, meet that appetite. Interesting. Well, I will look forward to talking about that with you then. Thanks so much, Dennis. Appreciate your time today. Thanks, Amy. Enjoy the holiday. Coming up, D33, one of the few remaining independent cannabis shop operators, is being bought for $55 million. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Is your student taking the SAT, ACT, or a high school admissions test this year? Academic Approach wants to help them get prepared. Academic Approach's time-tested tutoring programs ensure students grow their academic skills, improving their performance on standardized tests. The work together begins with a consultation with an Academic Approach director who will meet with you and your student to discuss their unique needs. Then Academic Approach creates an effective, fully customized study plan that targets their goals 
goals and matches them with a tutor who will be by their side, guiding them through instruction and practice throughout their tutoring journey. Get in touch today to learn how academic approach can help your student transform into a confident, successful test taker. Learn more at academicapproach.com slash daily gist. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. An advisor to union pension funds is calling on McDonald's Corporation to analyze how its policies may be contributing to social and economic inequality. SOC Investment Group recommended in a shareholder proposal sent on Monday to McDonald's board that the restaurant chain should oversee a third-party audit that takes input from franchisees, corporate workers, suppliers, and customers. While McDonald's already reports diversity data for corporate staff and company-owned stores, that excludes an estimated 660,000 U.S. franchise workers, making it unclear how the company is addressing racial inequality, according to the proposal which was seen and reported by Bloomberg News. In a statement, McDonald's said that its, quote, focus will remain on continued action to accelerate meaningful and overdue societal change. The company also said that it already holds its leaders accountable for maintaining equal pay for women and people of color and for ramping up investments in diverse-owned suppliers. According to data from the company's filing with the EEOC, the Chicago-based company already meets or exceeds the makeup of the U.S. population in terms of representation of black, Latino, and Asian workers at the management level, and for black and Asian workers in professional categories. However, those numbers only include company workers and not those who work for franchises in the U.S. Still, McDonald's has been criticized for its handling of race and social justice issues. CEO Chris Kamzinski is facing backlash from some community groups for comments he made earlier this year casting blame on the parents of two children who were killed in shootings. Kamzinski apologized in a video to workers, saying he would do, quote, more listening and learning from people whose life experiences are different from his own. Ocean Spray CEO Tom Hayes told Bloomberg Radio that canned cranberry lovers may have to be flexible this Thanksgiving and look for fresh cranberries instead, due to shortages of the cans used to transport the fruit. Ocean Spray, a cooperative of more than 700 farms, was forced to use different cans due to supply chain issues, potentially causing a scarcity of cranberries in parts of the country ahead of the holiday. Snags in the supply chain for cranberries come as overall Thanksgiving dinner bills are rising 14% from a year ago amid soaring food inflation. That according to the American Farm Bureau. And it's not just cranberries. Supplies of turkey and cold storage sank to the lowest ever ahead of Thursday's holiday. Tech startup Early Bird has raised $4 million from Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian and the Winklevoss twins. Catherine Davis is reporting the story in detail. Early Bird, which just launched last year, has essentially created an app that allows parents to set up custodial investment accounts for their children and easily accept contributions from friends and family. The idea is to give the average family an easier way to save for things like college tuition, weddings, first homes, um, and other big purchases that, you know, once a child grows up and becomes an adult, Um, you know, is looking for that extra cash to to buy some of these larger purchases. Um, So far, CEO Jordan Wexler told me that Early Bird has been pretty successful in targeting the average family, saying that its users on average are earning $100,000 or less in annual household income, and the average user is contributing about $80 per month to an Early Bird account. 
Early Bird says the new financing will help expand its engineering, product, marketing, and operations teams, as well as introduce the ability for users to invest and gift cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens. Dispensary 33, one of the last major independent cannabis shop operators in Illinois, is being acquired by a publicly traded company. Miami-based Air Wellness, that's A-Y-R, is buying D33, which has marijuana shops in Andersonville and Fulton Market. Air is paying $55 million for the two shops in a deal that includes $40 million in stock, $12 million in cash, and $3 million in debt. D33 shops are the latest Illinois dispensaries to be acquired since Illinois legalized recreational cannabis use nearly two years ago. Midway Dispensary was bought a year ago by New York-based Ascend Wellness, which also bought two Mocha Modern Cannabis dispensaries. And Air has been bulking up its portfolio in Illinois. In July, it said it would buy two dispensaries in Quincy for $30 million. And Air and Ascend are among the out-of-state companies that have been increasing their presence in Illinois. And deal-making is expected to continue, too, as Illinois issues new dispensary licenses. But for now, those 185 new licenses are on hold, pending the resolution of about a dozen lawsuits challenging the lottery process used to distribute them. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to find your audio on demand. And remember to rate and review Crane's Daily Gist because that is the best way for others to discover our episodes. You'll also find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and on LinkedIn. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time. I'm A.D. Quigg, host of The Crane's podcast, A.D. Q&A. This week, I sat down with Deputy Mayor Samir Mayakar to talk about the city's five casino bidders, how corporate Chicago is responding to crime, and how the city plans to help loop buildings adapt in a post-COVID real estate market. You can find it wherever you subscribe to podcasts and at chicagobusiness.com. So I think uh, what you can expect to see is how we can make strategic investments broadly in the museum campus, but do so in a way that protects the taxpayer. So some of what us at Cranes are hearing, and you could tell me if I'm off base, naming rights, a jumbotron, new seats, and of course, as BEZ has reported, sportsbook. Am I off base? Is that what the Bears want? Well, I think, um, you know, that that's all been discussed in public reporting. And, you know, I, I, I think that's on the menu of most teams. Uh, what, what I would say is what's important in this is besides recognizing um, the strategic location of Soldier Field, we have a duty to protect the taxpayer. And, and that's vital. 